Welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all kinds of things. Transportation. I am the traffic anchor and transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. And with me today, the lovely, the talented anchor reporter, Nicole Brady. Hello, Nicole. Hi. Via Zoom. We're on Zoom. Sometimes I forget people still can't see us, though. Yeah, no, they cannot see us. This is still an audio podcast. Yes. It is, and uh, so I'm using my <laughs> but little. I can see uh, you, which yeah, is nice. <laughs> well, see, so yeah, we can see each other, which helps yes. with the uh, flow of the program here. Uh, it is, and uh, so I'm using my <laughs> but little. I can see uh, you, which yeah, is nice. <laughs> well, see, so yeah, we can see each other, which helps yes. with the uh, flow of the program here. Uh, and I, I'm using my little mixer here that plugs into the phone that has you on Zoom, and then that's how everybody can hear you. So, yeah, I mean, it's Zoom audio, which isn't the greatest, but, you know, it's it's better than uh, using using other methods of communication, like a tin can. It, and it is. There you go. We've come so far. Uh, it was, uh, see, the, the, the reason I'm having you on the show today is because it was early this morning, I checked my email and I saw a note from Joseph that said he was going to go to the zoo and he's not doing the show. So I'm like, okay, okay. fine. <laughs> I'm like, okay, fine. You couldn't go have told to me zoo, that a couple of days ago. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, really, you're gonna just tell me overnight in the morning. Perfect. Wow. So I assume that means he's off of work today. I guess. Too, well, no, he he works in the afternoon, so he can go to the zoo in the morning. Uh, and then do whatever he's oh, doing at the zoo, I enjoy see. the giraffes and the rhinos and the uh, wildebeests. Couldn't he have done the podcast from the zoo? Oh, of course he could, but he's not, gonna, no, he's, he's not going to do that. Brought you the, the flavor and the color of pandemic well, zoo? He did the uh, recording a couple weeks ago, driving to drop his dog off at doggy daycare. So, yeah, he could have, but uh, he doesn't yeah. care. And and you do. You do That's care. Right. You care. I do care. I I am. I'm sitting in my bed right now. Well, hello. So <laughs> this is a this is a family friendly program, Nicole. No, this is where I. This is the secret behind the scenes. I do everything from my bed now, <laughs> and I, and I really want to know how many people are doing the same, working from home. I don't have a desk in this house. I have my kitchen table. You don't. You don't have like a basement with a desk. No, I, I could probably set something up, but I don't know. My husband has an office and we moved a couple of months or less than two months ago. So we haven't really reset things up, but I have, I'm in the guest room. That's kind of like my room basically. Well, yeah, we, <laughs> we don't have to get into my whole personal life, but because of this weird shift, I sleep in the guest room on uh it's and uh and use that that bed and everything so now so so i was thinking maybe of putting a desk in here at some point but no every morning I get up i write from this bed i do interviews from this bed <laughs> very nice i do podcasts from the bed <laughs> perfect it's the bed of everything you, you know ikea yeah, so. has has tables and chairs that are and you probably can go to a thrift store and probably pick up something pretty cheap I, I'm sure I can. I heard Ikea was open again, too. I've been meaning to, yeah. to see what that looks like now. Run over to the ARC store or Goodwill, and I'm sure you could pick up something right there. Uh, yeah. Coming up in yeah. just a bit, I'm going to have a conversation with uh, Rocky Moretti. Rocky is the Director of Policy and Research for TRIP, T-R-I-P. And we talked about the state of our roads, our infrastructure around the country, and what we can do to improve it. TRIP, by the way, is a private nonprofit organization, and they report on surface transportation issues. 
And obviously, uh, the infrastructure is a issue on the mind of many travelers. And so I'll have that conversation coming up in just a little bit. Also on the mind of travelers is getting sick on an airplane. And uh, are, are you scared of flying? Have you flown since COVID? No? No. No, I, I'm not overly scared. We're just not going anywhere. Ah, well. It's the flying for, part. It's the not going anywhere part. For the, there are yeah. people who are scared. In fact, I, I saw a thing from former Transportation Secretary uh, Roy, uh, Ray LaHood, who said yeah. that he would not get on an airplane. <laughs> he is actually saying, don't get on airplanes right now because you're going to wow. get the virus. And if you're scared of flying right now and you think you might get the COVID from flying, well, there's a Mideast airline. You've, you've probably seen their commercials. It's called Air Emirates. They have the fancy planes with the fancy seating mm-hmm. ab- ability. They're out of uh, Dubai, and they have a new strategy for getting people back on board their planes. But it's a little unconventional, just a little bit. So they say if one of the passengers there on one of their flights is diagnosed with COVID-19 during their journey, the airline will cover their medical expenses up to 150,000 euros, which is about $176,000. They will also pay 100 euros, about $118, per day for quarantine costs, such as a hotel room, for up to two weeks if they need to be quarantined. And if the worst happens, Emirates will offer up about 1,500 euros or $1,700 for your funeral. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so if the airline kills oh. you with COVID, they will at least cover seventeen hundred dollars of your burial. Oh, that's, they're really going cheap on the funeral part. I the know. Rest of- Great. They must be just putting you in a cardboard box and sending you through the yeah. crematorium because that's uh, <laughs> that's not some kind of fancy casket with a hole in the ground. No. Oh. Well. Uh, hey, that's more than a lot of places will do right now, I guess. And uh, I don't, I, I, you know, I know our airlines are are full some days, are pretty, you know, pretty packed flights still, and then other days light. But, um, but I don't know. I, I don't. I, I guess you just have as much a chance of getting it in there as you would spending a few hours in any other place. Yeah, uh, you know, the, the the interesting thing is that they won't cover the cost of testing, but if you die they will cover that cost. (laughs) And you have to contact the airline to get your expenses approved before they pay for anything. So I think providing or I I think proving that you picked up the virus on one of their flights is probably going to be the fight of all fights uh, to prove that you got it from them. So then they would pay for all of your medical expenses, your quarantine, and of course your funeral. Yeah, that's the okay. So you would have to prove it. Uh, well, of course, you can't just say, "Hey, guess what? I yeah. got sick, and I need um, some. <laughs> I need to be well, quarantined yeah. here in Spain for the next couple of weeks, and you're going to pay for my hotel room." I have re- read various articles that have said, you know, a, a large number of people um, in certain studies don't have any idea where they got the virus. So, yeah. uh, which makes the contact tracing difficult and. Show, just goes to show how we are that person most likely got it from someone who was asymptomatic then right because, or right in a place where someone had it in there and uh and yeah there'd be no way to prove necessarily i guess that 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 was it um 
But no, mo- you know, we're not going anywhere right now because no one will have us as America. <laughs> America will have you, Nicole. You yes. can go other places in America. You just can't we go. Could. We could go to. You just can't go to Italy. There's or a lot of, how many states are quarantining you right now, though? Too. So I don't you know. You can go to Croatia. They'll have uh, you. I I am cro- part Croatian, so I would. Oh, love well, to there go you go. Okay, so I didn't know that was one of the places where you're still okay. Uh, do you speak any Croatian? I don't. My my grandma did. No, my mom is. Uh, her parents are both. So my mom's full Croatian, and and uh, and I'm half. But uh, but no, I I only I know some food and recipes, and that's about it. Well, perfect. Also, according to the International Air Transport Association, global air travel is recovering slower than they expected, and they predict it will take until 2024 to return to any pre-pandemic levels. Wow. They are seeing a rebound from the lowest point of the shutdown back in April or so. But the bad news, they say, is that the increase is barely visible as air traffic is still down 86% in June, That's from June of last year, and also compared to a drop of 94% from April of this year to April of last year. That is unbelievable. Still down 86% for for international travel. And uh, because travel, really, it's not being seeked out by average people yet. Um, I think a lot of companies are struggling and they have slashed, if not just cut altogether, their travel budgets. And so we're not going to see. And yeah, exactly. So and the airlines are still struggling to fill the seats with enough people to make money because some are still keeping the center seat open like Southwest. Uh, Mm -hmm. Planes on average are only about 60 or so percent full on flights around the world. And that's well below what airlines need to make money. And for international travel, they're only about 40% full. And I saw a report that business travel could be down uh, and stay down by 50% of what it used to be after after everything is over, after we all have a vaccine, after everybody is healthy and, yeah. and, and everything's open again, that businesses might still, even well after that, still keep travel to a minimum because right now everybody's doing fine with the Zoom, yeah. and and uh, they, they can save a lot of money doing that. And I think there is uh, some uh, businesses that that really, I don't know, they don't, they 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 know that there's a benefit to collaboration in person. Um, we've seen that with our business, but I think a lot of businesses are going to just save the cost, save the expense, and save the hassle of trying to tra- uh, travel in a pre in a post COVID world and not go anywhere for a long time. Um, that would seem like one of the the last areas to come back, possibly. Um, I did read an article. The Wall Street Journal had an article this week about the holes and the cracks in working from home starting to show. And uh, they said, you know, it may not be the the permanent thing that everyone has said, oh, look how great it is. People don't have to commute and, and companies can save money on the office space and um, perhaps travel in the future. And, and there's lots of benefits and maybe some flexibility will stay. But the article talked about how a lot of uh, Silicon Valley companies, especially uh, 
you know, they're trying to do these projects that five engineers might usually be in one room working on together. And, and they're trying to do it on Zoom. And they said it's just taking way too long. Yeah. I mean, to, to finish anything and to, and, and every, and, and everything is disjointed and still, and in our company feels that way too, at times it feels like, wow, how different would this be if we could just all sit in one place and right. talk about. And you know, with uh, the, with the business traveler, not traveling as much, they really subsidize hotels and they subsidize uh, flights and really for the rest of us budget travelers, because the airlines can overcharge them right. and the hotels can overcharge them for their business travel needs because the business is paying for it. So th- for the most part, those people don't, don't care. So, yeah. I mean, obviously the businesses eventually care, but it, it's not as important to them as it is to you and me. And so, no, that's a good point. And so it's going to cost us more when we're going to go get a hotel room or try to book a flight, even though frontier is having this ridiculous $11 sale right now for the next, uh, I guess, 24 hours of what it is. Um, but Ooh. I think, it will be affecting also with fewer business travelers all the subset of jobs that uh, rely on the business traveler the folks that are are, uh, in the airports working in the airports and in the taxis and in the shuttles and all those little businesses that cater to business travelers that's just Mm -hmm. it's just gonna maybe dry up or go away completely or at least consolidate because there's going to be fewer people and fewer business travelers uh, out there so this obviously is all going to be changing and and I'll I'll be a different post COVID world. We'll see how it goes, I guess. Right. Right. But that is, uh, I hadn't thought much about the airport businesses and that's, uh, obviously they're taking a huge hit. Um, but I haven't been out to the airport since this started, uh, for a, for a news story or for travel. So, yeah, well it's, uh, and it's changing out there at our airport a lot. Um, to see all the different changes out there. And also it's changing for the cruise line industry because they still in the United States are pushed back another month before we can see any sailings here. But the first major cruise ship to sail in months actually departed this past weekend and passengers on board have provided the world with a glimpse of what it could be like for us traveling post COVID. It was this past Friday that the mind shift to departed from Hamburg in Germany for a three-night sailing up to Norway. Now, the ship didn't, it it just sailed around or outside of Norway, right there next to Norway, but didn't stop at any of the ports. So it was just going, it went from Hamburg uh, out into the ocean around Norway and then came back. And they're sailing right now at a reduced capacity of about 60%, something likely to happen on the ships in the United States, Because the top executives from each of the cruise lines, like Royal Caribbean, Norwegian, Carnival, they've all said that they will start sending out ships when they do send them out at a reduced capacity. Now, some of the passengers on this cruise line, this cruise ship that went out, they said they waited a little bit longer than expected for service in the dining room, but they said it wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, And the ship largely has moved now to contactless ordering systems, so... Rather than having the traditional menu and having the uh, the waiter and the waiter assistant there hanging out there at your table, you actually get one of those Q, uh, uh, papers with a QR code on it, and you scan it with your smartphone, and that's where your menu is. You've seen that at restaurants oh, okay, all yeah. around here, too. You've seen that sure. where you're ordering. It's that contactless ordering. Or they uh, some restaurants will have the... Uh, just the paper ones where they'll collect it and then throw it out. But it's cheaper for them to use the QR codes, obviously, and have you do it on your phone. 
and and there's been a lot of talk about the buffets. It was funny. I, I was looking at some of the this. I, I came across a box. I was trying to find Gina. Was trying to find some uh, of our old wedding pictures. One of somebody that was um, uh, of our family, of her family side, was has died recently, and so she was looking for a picture that she thought was in our we- wedding photos. And so she, uh, I was looking through one of the boxes, and I came across a box of our first cruise, and it was on a Royal Caribbean ship, and we had a porthole room. Ever since then, we've gotten a balcony room, but we had a porthole room, and it was just a little cruise that went to uh, from Miami to Key West, uh, uh, Bahamas, and then back to the uh, Miami. And there was a midnight buffet. That was the big thing, the midnight buffet. And I have pictures of the midnight. I had to get pictures of the midnight buffet. And it's right oh there on God. the deck, right at, right by the pool. And they had the tables out. And they had the ice sculptures. And they had the whole nine <laughs> yards, you know. It's, it's, and, and nobody, they're not going to, they don't just, they don't do that anymore. But it was, it was one of those extravagances of the yeah. cruising, you know, like 20 years ago, right? Well, a lot of people like the buffets. The buffets are great. And, and they are still open right now. At least on this cruise, it was still open. But they don't have self-service. So they have the staff members oh. serving the putting the stuff on the plate and then handing you the plate and that's how they're doing uh. it and it does slow things down a bit but and most people they said are are, are happy with the process but I, I I like picking out which food I want and how much I want I don't want to have some Yahoo doing that for me no no that Yahoo doesn't doesn't get it right no they never get it they don't they don't know what kind of they're bacon I to... like I like the crispier bacon not the softer bacon. I like the softer bacon. Oh, you do? So, yes. And then and then if I'm getting any of the granola, sometimes I like having the yogurt with the granola and the other stuff, but I like to have a good mix of things. And I like to mix it my own, not to have some Yahoo mixing it for me. <laughs> yeah, well, no, that is the point of the buffet. Yes. I, I try to, I mean, I, I'm surprised it's coming back. I've heard those are pretty much done as a as a concept uh, in the, even in post-COVID, I don't know. I I try to avoid it anyway. It just isn't a oh. healthy way. So uh, who cares about healthy? It's a buffet. You eat as much as you can eat, Nicole. <laughs> I know you are slender and you're fit. I I I though, however, am not. Well, I I still have have overindulged at a buffet here and there in my life. I've been to been to the Vegas ones a few times. Oh yeah, those are great. And uh, and the and the all you can eat lobster in uh, Orlando. Oh sure. Uh, which really that one wasn't no that that was that was a buffet but no we we didn't go to the buffet we just sat there at the table and waited for them to bring us more Not- lobster. <laughs> oh like the like at the uh, at the Brazilian steakhouse where you just have to flip over. Yes. Uh, right right yeah. very similar. Yeah. Uh, well, each morning every passenger on this cruise ship had to have their temperature checked. And they have the thermal scans. These stations are located around the ship, which uh, uh, looks a lot like a smartphone on a stand. And then the temperature taking process is a lot like a selfie, apparently. So they, they take so everybody gets their temperature taken to make sure that nobody has a fever. And without a doubt, the biggest question the cruisers have been asking is whether or not they have to wear a mask in public places when they are on the cruise ship. Well, that answer accordingly after after watching people on this cruise is yes and no. So the crew, all the crew members wear a mask and the guests are asked to wear them in certain situations where they can't maintain that social distancing. Like if they're in a bar or they're in a restaurant 
where they're really close if they if they might be closely seated with other people, but then they have to take it off to eat. Or if they're um, uh, in the hallways because the hallways are pretty yeah. narrow. And so they have to wear them in the hallways if they're going to be running up against uh, another guest or maybe some of the crew members anyway. Um, but most of the tables have been moved farther apart to encourage the social distancing thing. Uh, and also the elevators. They only allow four guests in the elevator at any one time. And they have these markings on the floor divided so it's basically four square. So they so everybody has uh, their own square. They they don't give you the uh, little red soft square. Yeah, they don't give you the red ball to play four square in the elevator, which they should, <laughs> but that's that's how they are separating people in the elevator. And now that the ship is re- as sailing at reduced capacity, it actually allows them for to to clean up the staterooms on a rotational basis. So They'll have uh, a bunch of staterooms open, and usually they're they're using most of the outside cabins, so they have fresh outside air that they can circulate. They'll deep clean one cabin and use that for the next sailing, and then after these people get out of the, that that uh, cabin, then they'll deep clean that one during the next cruise. So yeah, and uh, they're only uh, let's see, the gym is only allowing twenty people at a time, uh, first come first serve basis. Only 10 kids are allowed in the child care program at any given time, and their toys and equipment are all uh, sanitized throughout the day. So there's that. And they say they're going to have more ships sailing out of Germany uh, next wow. month. So there you go. The cruising cruising has already started. Cruising's bad. I, uh, I, I, hope it's, I hope it works. Anything anyone tries right now, I just hope it works because I'd like to see things normalized, but... I just can't even imagine the people who are, that's the first thing, get me back on a cruise. Is that what, <laughs> I, you I, love cruises? I, I, you? I love cruises. I would, I think I might wait a little while to get back on a cruise ship, but yeah. uh, uh, one of the best cruises I've ever taken was uh, last January for my 50th when we were on the uh, Symphony of the Seas, which is the world's largest cruise ship at the current moment, or it was at yeah. the time. And it was one of the most spectacular trips I've ever been on. It was great. But that was also pre-COVID, so it was very entertainment. A lot, normal. You know, a lot, oh, yeah, very normal. Uh, it was great. Yeah. So, um, that's, the, that's the thing. I do wonder about, the is it worth it at some of these places right now? Uh, now, I did see Disney World. I checked to see what that situation looked like, and it looked pretty amazing. There are no lines. Right. I mean, people are saying you're just run, running through the the little turnstile. But the, you're touching everything. Where? So you get on the ride. So you're on the uh, the ride there in uh, with uh, what was it, Peter Pan, and you're flying through this thing. So you're holding on to the rider. You're getting into the uh, small world boat, right? And you're still touching everything that everybody else has touched, right? They're not sanitizing each of those little boats yeah, before you get back on you, the small yeah, world. You, if you do the sanitizer, that shouldn't really be a huge problem. As if there's not people around you in crowds and breathing on you. Now I don't know how many are going in the rides. If like if you're on a Peter Pan boat, do they skip one boat between each people? Yeah, I don't know. I don't each, know. Each uh, party, party, I mean, and uh, each group. Because then you'd Rest yeah. You'd I mean, again, I wouldn't do it right now. It's a lot. But if I lived in Orlando right now, I think I might want to test that Because out. on Space Mountain, if the first person in the in the first car there at Space Mountain barfs, it's going to get you no. on the back, in the back. 
Yeah. No, I wouldn't be doing those. And it's going to be the same as if they were spitting or yelling or screaming or whatever. The, 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 the droplets are coming out. Yeah. No scream rights right. right now. Well, before we get to the interview, I saw a report that shows we are holding onto our cars longer than ever before. And now the average age of a vehicle in the United States is just shy of 12 years. And that's a new record. They say that this trend is is really creating opportunities, though, for repair shops and part sellers because older vehicles, they need to be maintained more than a newer car. And that new vehicle sales are down about 6 to 10% from last year. So there are more older cars on the road. And also the resale of older cars is going to be picking up as well. And I, I also think that vehicles that have been built in the last five to ten years are actually built better overall than they were long ago, back in the 90s and 80s and 70s. They, they really weren't built to last like they are now. And, and as long as you maintain them, you get the oil changed every 5,000 miles. As long as you get the regular service done every uh, so often as it's recommended by the factory, these cars can last hundreds of thousands of miles and... 15 or 20 or 25 years. I think they are built so much better now than they used to be. I have two older cars, a 2013 and a 2014 model, and I plan on keeping them basically until they die. So I think that, uh, I think that's a trend that's going to continue. So it's interesting to see that, uh, that we're going to see repair shops, uh, being a good place to work or own or, or at least, uh, survive during the COVID. Yeah. Well, my question is, how many people are possibly getting rid of the, a second family car too, and or at some point realizing they're not going to need one, so maybe retiring one once it's ready to be done with? Because there, a part of me would love to be able to get rid of one of our cars. I'm not sure that either would really help us out that much financially. Getting rid of a vehicle right now. Well, I not mean, paying insurance is probably going to help you. Yeah, that's to the true. Maybe even a thousand dollars a year. Yeah, that's a good point. We have one that's paid off and then one that we pay for a lease. And I thought about, you know, should we try to sell the one that's that's paid off? Because maybe we'll be doing this for a year. I mean, it's very possible. So oh, yeah. I'm fully I'm uh, fully ready now to stay here in my basement broadcasting yeah. for at least another six months, if not into early next year. Yeah. And I you know, I figure I, we, my job, I go, I leave most mornings to go out, but usually I'm back in time. If, if someone else, if my husband needed to use the car, but he doesn't really leave that often. So, uh, so yeah, I think, I think we may need to revisit that idea. And, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't imagine, I know a lot of car, uh, seller manufacturers are giving some good deals right now. I oh think. yes, definitely. And I, I'm going to go look at my insurance rates right now. Cause I know they're actually pretty high, but I'm going to change my driving habits. Cause it out, uh, asks you how many miles you drive a, and where are you driving to and from? Yeah. Well, I'm, not, I'm not really driving. I'm just basically going to the grocery store or over to uh, home Depot or wherever. And I'm not really go. I'm not going to a work where I'm not traveling. 50 miles a day like I was. So I wonder if I can adjust that in my uh, policy that my rates might go down. I don't know. Yeah. I hope. I'm sure it might not be a huge amount, but it, I think it is going to be something. Usually uh, that that is something they advise you to do. when, when Because they've been change. refunding me over the last couple of months, like $25 for my uh, what is it? It's like, like uh, 600 or 1200. I, I think I think I pay $1,200 a year for the car insurance on my two cars that are both paid off, but still they're sending me $25. 
Thanks. Uh, yes. Oh, yeah, that's helping so much. Uh, <laughs> we're going to need a little more money for infrastructure because a national transportation research nonprofit group called TRIP, T-R-I-P, says our highway and roadway infrastructure must be improved. And they say it's really bad here in my home state of Colorado, saying the rate of congestion, travel volume, road and bridge deterioration and facilities on Colorado's interstate system are among the highest in the nation. So I wanted to talk more about this problem, not just that's affecting us here in Colorado, but really all over the country, especially in the states that are really seeing a lot of growth. So I've invited Rocky Moretti. He's TRIP's Director of Policy and Research to be here on the show. And TRIP was founded in 1971, nonprofit organization that researches, evaluates, and distributes economic and technical data on surface transportation issues. Rocky Moretti has been with TRIP since 1992, where he researches, writes, and edits numerous state and national reports. Rocky, Welcome to the Driving You Crazy podcast. Thank you, Jason. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to talk to you today. So overall, the country is seeing, obviously, a deterioration in the infrastructure. It doesn't take much looking around in any state in the nation to really see some infrastructure problems around the country. How bad are the roads and bridges we're driving on right now? Congress wanted that question answered, and they went to the National Academy of Science and asked for a report on the interstate highway system, the most critical system in the nation that carries around a quarter of the travel, nearly 40% of all freight moves on the interstate system. Uh, the National Academy of Sciences came back last year and said that the interstate highway system has a persistent and growing problem in terms of reliability because of traffic congestion and a 64-year-old system is just wearing out. And states are, are doing routine repairs because that's typically all they can afford, but the system's reaching the point where that's really reaching a point of diminishing returns. What's needed will be the reconstruction of major components of that system, bridges, major interchanges, uh, just in, in, not just a simple repaving, but actually pulling up those subsurfaces and redoing those interstates. As you would anticipate, that's not going to be cheap. That report found that the current investment, about $23 billion a year nationally, needs to be more than double. So, that, so that's where we stand. The, the interstate system is the backbone of our transportation system, but it's a backbone that's really starting to bend. Yeah, and it, it seems that it's not bending as much in some states as it is uh, in other states, and it seems like it's also bending and uh, being more rigid depending on if you're on an interstate highway or a U.S. highway or a state highway. Are, are those, you think, equally as bad, or you think there are some states that are doing a better job of keeping maybe their infrastructure up compared to the overall uh, federal highways? If you, if you look at, at simple data on road and bridge conditions or even traffic fatality rates, those get worse once you leave the interstate system. The interstate system is, is a lot safer because of the design of the roadway, the, the limited access to vehicles and so forth. And so you see greater safety and mo most of the high levels of traffic fatalities are on the rural system and really on any roads once you're off the interstate system. Uh, similarly with, with bridge conditions, uh, you see bridge conditions are typically worse off the interstate system, and that's also true of pavements. What's different, of course, is, is the interstate system is the most heavily traveled system and most critical to not only uh, mobility regionally, but also within urban areas. And so uh, 
you, the challenge of rebuilding that system becomes even greater. If you look across the country, what you'll find is the problems break down to some extent regionally. In western states like Colorado, Utah, a number of Arizona, a number of western states, growth is, is the, the, the huge challenge. In, in, in Colorado, uh, as we pointed out in our report this week, the level of travel increase on the interstate system increased by 51%. At the same time, additional lane capacity on the interstate system of Colorado increased by 3%. So as you would expect, there's a lot more cars and trucks on the road. There's a lot more traffic congestion on Colorado's freeways, but we're seeing that particularly in high growth areas. I want to get back to that point in just a second, but you were mentioning in, in your response about the difference between the U.S. highways and interstates, and the interstates are safer. Generally, they are because they're either generally divided by a, a specific uh, concrete divider or maybe even cable rail. Uh, on U.S. highways or other rural highways, it could be just a double yellow line that's separating the oncoming traffic from each other. So uh, I think that makes it inherently more dangerous off the interstate system than on it. That's right. And what we've seen uh, is that when you make the additional roadway safety design improvements, uh, there's a good example out of Texas that systematically invested a lot of money in its rural system, just simple cost-effective strategies, adding rumble strips, paving some shoulders, uh, improving the design of some intersections, and they saw fatalities drop dramatically on those rural systems. Now, we also know that, that, that we're not blaming the roads when, when people get killed. It's ultimately, typically, uh, a poor decision or, or a mistake or an impaired driver. Uh, but when you make those additional roadway safety improvements, it tends to reduce the, 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 the results of someone making a mistake. And so uh, safety, traffic safety is really a function of, of, of good, good enforcement, good public education, but then also having a roadway driving environment that's as safe as possible. Now, according to TRIP's report from 2000 to 2018, vehicle travel on, on at least the Colorado interstates, it increased, and I think you mentioned part of this, at a rate of 17 times faster than the rate of which new lane capacity has been added. As a result, Colorado's interstates are now the third busiest and the 11th most congested in the United States. Obviously, these are pre-COVID numbers, since COVID has happened, and we'll talk about that maybe in a little bit. Uh, it, travel, traffic patterns and obviously volume has changed dramatically. But do you think Trip is saying now that if Colorado invested in more travel lanes over the that last 20 years or so, there would be less congestion? And if so, does that suggest we can build our way out of congestion? Adding additional capacity, typically when, when additional capacity is built into the system. It's a long existing route. Now, the National Academy of Science has also pointed out that there were some places where there were essentially missing links in the system, uh, which was designed largely in terms of the routes in the 1940s and 50s, and, and in, in the, the West is still playing catch up because of obviously the significant growth. But to get back to your point, I, I don't. I think the challenge is, is to, to recognize that there is some additional capacity. Uh, that's appropriate to add, uh, but it's certainly not going to be at the same level or, or rate of travel growth, and, and it, that's partly due to the fact that, uh, you know, the cost of that uh, in, in some corridors, it's not appropriate for a variety of reasons. So really, we're looking at using the system as efficiently as possible. 
you know, particularly in, in urban areas, there's a lot of, of, of things with ramp metering, with incident management. It, it, states are increasingly investing in uh, making sure that when there's a, a breakdown or a crash that it's dealt with as quickly as possible. In fact, the, the, the general approach by, by state and local transportation agencies increasingly is to take in a holistic approach to look at the overall issue from how are we dealing with crashes, uh, how are we trying to use the system as efficiently as possible, and so you, you really, how are, in terms of, of traffic management strategies, uh, informing the public of, of travel times, the challenge is to make the system as reliable as possible. So, so we're suggesting that adding some capacity along certain corridors uh, is certainly going to be part of that, particularly in areas with high growth. Uh, but sometimes it can be very smaller incremental steps. I, I was in, in Boston several months ago pre-COVID um, on a conference on traffic congestion. And, you know, in urban Boston, it's unlikely that you can add capacity on some of those, those, those highways through very tightly packed urban areas. But there were a variety of small bottlenecks intersections without turn lanes, a variety of things that could be addressed realistically uh, to, to essentially address some of the gridlock in those regions. So it's really an approach that makes sense for each region. Uh, certainly additional capacity uh, is part of that, but oftentimes that capacity can be, uh, in, in, you know, really not, you know, turn lanes or a variety of less impactful uh, improvements that can go a long way to making the system more reliable. You mentioned incident management. Here in Colorado, our Department of Transportation has been for as long as I can remember, maybe 25 years working, and they call it the Mile High Courtesy Patrol. And basically, there are a couple of tow trucks. They used to have them as independent contractors working for the state during the morning and afternoon commute. They would just roll up and down the interstates and help out disabled vehicles, give gas if they needed to, assist the police with blocking lanes, and then tow or move the cars if they were uh, in a crash or just disabled uh, off to the shoulder. So it would open up the lanes and it was really a and it has been a program by the Department of Transportation that has been instrumental in keeping our I think our highways better flowing in general than maybe in other parts of the country and it's it, I think it's been a a very successful program and then you were also mentioning mentioning about the ramp meters well and maybe you're not familiar with this but I just posted a story a couple weeks ago about a program that our Department of Transportation is working on with uh, a couple of companies out of Australia to do smart meter ramp usage, where they are actually going to monitor the amount of traffic flow on the mainline part of the interstate and then adjust the amount of traffic that can get onto the interstate and hold traffic back onto some of the feeder routes a little bit longer to get an overall trip acceleration through those uh, main uh, highway, so it's uh, it's going to be an interesting test program that they're going to test over the next six months, and that should start here this fall. And and those are, are the, the types of approaches. It's it's not a, a a simple set of solutions. It's it's a broader context. And and what we haven't talked about, obviously, is is funding. Uh, transportation agencies uh, across the country are have a very good sense of of what it takes to make a system more reliable. 
The challenge, obviously, is being able to fund it, and that, that's a, a challenge both at the state level uh, and also at federally. We see two, two, two opportunities in the short term that could have dramatic impacts on the transportation system in Colorado, but national. Is that what got us to this point of poor infrastructure, poor roadways? Is it just the lack of money? The, the National Academy of Sciences report to, to Congress said that it was a, a long-term lack of adequate investment that, that has led to the deterioration of the interstate highway system, but you can really look, look across the country. In, in Colorado, uh, the latest estimates from the Department of Transportation is that they should be spending an additional $533 million annually to address the transportation projects they, they see that are critically needed. And then if you look at, at the current deliberations in Washington over a stimulus package, uh, during COVID, it's been estimated that so far, uh, state transportation agencies have lost $16 billion in revenue because people are driving less, they're paying less gas taxes, contributing less in, in toll fees. Uh, and the, the House stimulus package has addressed that uh, to some extent, I think there was $13 billion in, in that package. And the estimate is that overall states will lose around $37 billion. So now we're, we see the Senate also discussing that package. That's going to be critical because state transportation departments this year have already cut $9 billion in projects. Uh, if they don't get that money uh, from the federal government, uh, those are, are improvements in the safety of the system and the reliability of the system and just basic preservation that aren't going to happen. And then a very critical source of funding in Colorado, but across the country, is the surface transportation program at the federal level. Well, that program expires at the end of September. Uh, the House has put forward uh, a new bill that significantly would boost that funding, although the House bill also comes with uh, a, a fair amount of red tape that, that candidly would tie the hands of state transportation agencies in, in determining which projects are the most critical in a region. Um, and the Senate has had some initial discussions but aren't at the point yet where they have moved forward with a, a comprehensive program. So the clock's ticking on, on the federal program uh, and, and state transportation agencies obviously uh, have to be very conservative in their investments until they see how that plays out. I'm speaking with Rocky Moretti. He's TRIP's Director of Policy and Research about the state of our roads and our infrastructure. Famously, the people of Colorado over the last several years have voted down three major times a tax increase or bond measure to fund transportation. And that's just here in Colorado. It's different in other states where I know in Utah they have passed legislation to raise their gas tax and their roads seem to be much better than those roads here in Colorado. Now, if is is this a time if we can't get the funding, obviously, in Colorado because the people don't want to vote for it, is it time to look at road usage fees, at registration fees? Is it time to shift how... Uh, money is coming into these Department of Transportations with fewer people driving, as you mentioned, fewer people paying gas tax, and, and uh, fewer dollars are coming into the states. Well, we've put out reports in Colorado pointing out that when you don't make adequate investments, then there are certainly going to be costs related to that. So uh, the bottom line is, is that uh, when you're not able to, to adequately maintain the system, 
then you're going to see uh, additional costs in terms of, of maintaining your uh, uh, your vehicles. Uh, there's a there's a cost involved in being stuck in traffic, um, and so you're you're losing time there. Uh, and then finally, there's also uh, significant costs to tra traffic crashes. Our, our last report found that in Colorado statewide, that cost is eight billion dollars annually to the public, uh, and that is the cost of more road repairs to your vehicles because the rougher roads, uh, the rougher the shaped roads are in two things happen. Your vehicle obviously is getting beaten up driving on those uh, roads that are in poor condition, but it also means your vehicle is wearing out more quickly. Uh, in terms of traffic fatalities and serious traffic crashes, uh, it, it, you know, we can't estimate the, the real cost of a, of a traffic fatality, which is obviously the devastation to, to, a, to a family. Um, but we can look at those economic costs, and that's well over $2 billion in Colorado annually and then the estimate of, of a congestion cost is just looking at the value of time. Uh, this is based on, on research done annually by the Texas Transportation Institute. That's around $3 billion in Colorado. So, you know, our, our, our message is, is that certainly improving the transportation system, making it more reliable, making it safer, and maintaining it takes an investment. There's no doubt about that. But there's also a significant cost in when you don't make those repairs. Looking at some of the worst congested urban interstates on your list, California comes in at number one. And surprisingly, at least to me, maybe Maryland number two, maybe you're including Washington, D.C. in there, uh, New Jersey at number three, and Delaware at number four. I could see Florida at number five, Massachusetts with Boston uh, at number six, but Delaware at number four, and Rhode Island at number seven, Connecticut at number eight. It seems interesting that some of the smallest states have some of the most urban congested interstates. Well, I, I think what you're looking at there is is the the, the northeast corridor between Washington D.C. and Baltimore. And so, in the case of, of, of Delaware and Rhode Island, uh, right on those corridors, uh, most of their you know I-95 goes right through there. And that's why you know another very important statistic that uh, you're referencing in addition to the, the share of urban interstates that are congested is to actually look at travel per lane mile on urban interstates. Colorado is ranks third there. Uh, this is based on 2018 data, the latest data that's available, right behind California and Maryland. So um, it, it shows you just how heavily traveled those urban freeways in Colorado are. Well, yeah, in the in the interstate uh, volume increase, you have Nevada at number one, Louisiana at number two, then North Carolina, Utah, Colorado, and Texas, all very fast-growing states. We've talked a lot about how Las Vegas is growing pretty quickly, how Louisiana has come back after Katrina and growing uh, quite quickly, and North Carolina obviously growing quite quick, uh, quickly as well. So some of those states, I think, have some interesting challenges uh, when it comes to their transportation system and how congested their highways have become. That's right. Trip put out a report last year looking at freight transportation in the country. And, and what became clear from that is, is, is the impact of, of, of Amazon and, and, and other uh, organizations that have really changed the supply chain network. Um, and, and then COVID has taken that to a whole higher level in terms of, of the demand for the movement of small products and moved quickly. 
what we're seeing is a tremendous increase in, in large trucks moving across the country. Now, again, during the, the pandemic, the, the nation's supply chain literally was our, our lifeline. Um, now, as, as, as we move through perhaps the, the mid-period of the pandemic and, and hopefully towards a, a resolution to some extent into the next year, I think we've seen some subtle long-term changes in our economy. I think they're all going to favor in, increased trucking. Um, I, it seems that the public is, is starting to get back to travel levels similar uh, to what we saw before uh, COVID. So I think looking into the future, um, we have a very mature aging transportation system, certainly the interstate system. And it, it's, it really starts with a long-term, well-funded, uh, reliably funded, very critically, federal program. Uh, and then also at the state level, uh, ensuring that, that the state is making the investments that are, that are necessary. Uh, and, and then also local governments as well. So I, I think really the, the thinking needs to be, you know, as we get through this pandemic and we look into the future, what are, what are some key building blocks of infrastructure? Uh, obviously, the transportation system is a very vital part of that. Well, and not to pick on the truckers, but I've understood from talking to some engineers at our Department of Transportation that one fully loaded truck can do as much wear and tear on the roads as about 9,000 passenger vehicles. Is there any talk about maybe addressing that issue since we have increased the amount of trucks and uh, deliveries that are on the roads that the roads are going to be suffering because of that increased demand to ship goods and services across the country and locally? Well, it certainly increases the the, the need and, and, and the investment level that's required to maintain our, our roads, highways, and bridges with that those larger uh, volumes of, of freight. The report, again, based on, on, on a very uh, thorough ongoing federal database anticipates that the value of freight moved by trucks and really by all modes over the next 20 years is going to double. Um, so we're going to be seeing more freight being shipped across the country. Uh, that's very critical to our quality of life, but we need to have the infrastructure in place that can support that level of, of, of mobility of, for freight movement. Do you think they should be paying more than everybody else in their average car because they are contributing to more of the deterioration of the infrastructure? Well, well, well trucks, um, both through, through, through federal taxes, uh, starting with, with, with uh, the gas tax and, and then also uh, in states that, that have also weight fees, um, generally have, have shown a willingness to pay additionally for the system. You also see when, when they get onto a toll system that they have to uh, pay additional funds as well. So, um, you know, they are, and we've seen that, that the, the trucks, uh, truckers organizations have shown a willingness to pay additional funds, uh, recognizing that really their, their whole system requires a good transportation system. Yes, and the trip report also does find some good news uh, based on the relative safety of our interstate system, as we talked about earlier. And the report also says that the pavement smoothness on most segments of the U.S. interstate is, quote, acceptable 
and saying the crumbling foundations of most highway segments needs to be reconstructed and that continued resurfacing rather than addressing the underlying foundational issues provides diminishing returns and results in shorter periods of pavement smoothness. Now, does that suggest that we might need to just tear down the interstates to bare soil and then start again, build it over top of that? Well, that that was a recognition that uh, increasing what states are doing, obviously, with limited resources, is trying to go in and, and, and resurface those systems. But what the engineers are finding is that that resurfacing that used to last for maybe five years now no longer uh, lasts as long because what's happening is that uh, almost like a repair on your house. You, know, you might get away with throwing up a few extra shingles when you have a leak, but if you're not dealing with what's underneath those shingles, eventually uh, small repairs are not going to get the job done. And so that's what's starting to happen with the interstate system is that states are recognizing they're going to have to make the far more significant investment of taking a highway that's been basically on top of a sub-base built in the 1950s uh, and digging that system up and rebuilding it. And as you would anticipate, uh, that's, not, that's going to be a significant expense uh, and a long-term expense. And so states are looking at additional ways to raise that funding. And then we're seeing a trend in urban areas uh, to look at adding some additional lanes that are managed lanes, which essentially means that uh, if there's going to be some additional highway capacity in some urban areas, uh, adding adding a, a cost to it uh, as a way to bring in additional revenue. Colorado is, uh, well, toll lane crazy. Um, we have gone on the express lane bandwagon in a big way, and they're building them all around the uh, around the front range between Fort Collins and Boulder and Denver and going on down to Colorado Springs. Two final questions for you. Uh, how do you think COVID is going to change the data set for everything that you're looking into because it has really changed how traffic has uh, traffic patterns have changed and and really have been shifted just because of our our now post-covid world and how long do you think it might take before we are back into some kind of a pre-covid le- level of traffic sure oh, we, we saw obviously a, a tremendous uh, decrease in, in travel. We've been looking at the monthly numbers, and, and then there's also been organizations based on, on things as uh, cell phone data, uh, and looking at that huge reduction. Now, uh, in May, it began to come back. Uh, in, in, in most regions, it, its travel volumes are back within 10 or 15 percent of, of, of pre-COVID. Um, as we move into the fall, it seems that that at some point, it's going to move back, but it will probably be based on uh, what's happening with the economy, and obviously that falls into uh, you know what happens on, on the medical front, whether it's a vaccine or improved therapies, and obviously well well outside my uh, knowledge base. But uh, we would, you know, it, it seems likely that whether it, it's by next year, 2022, we're going to see travel back at the same level. Uh, and the country, I think, is poised for long-term significant economic growth. Uh, we know the country is going to add significant population uh, over the next 20 or 30 years. And so I think those trends will continue. There may be subtle trends uh, because of COVID in terms of, of, of how people choose to travel, 
you know, will there be more working at home? Um, I think the reality is is that what we'll see is is some of the ongoing trends that were true before COVID may be accelerated somewhat uh, post pandemic. Uh, but at, at the end of the day, I I think we're going to see uh, the demand for mobility across the country, uh, not just for you know not just for for highways and cars, but really for all modes. Uh, continuing to increase into the future. Yeah, I think it could be a while before we start to really see other modes of transportation, buses, motor coaches, the trains, obviously aircraft to pick up as fast as driving across the country. When you're in a car by yourself or your quarantined family, if you will, I think people think that is and feel much safer doing that than they do jumping on an airplane, even if the Congress does pass some kind of legislation that keeps the middle seat open for an undetermined amount of time. Certainly modes where, where, where people are, you know, it's easier to, to control the environment, whether that that's driving or even, uh, you know, riding a bicycle or, or being a pedestrian, uh, you know, are going to be, you know, the public are going to feel more confident in until we, you know, we move ahead uh, in, in addressing uh, this pandemic. Well, Rocky Moretti, thank you so much for your insight, your uh, expertise on this. Rocky is the TRIPS Director of Policy and Research, and we were talking about the state of our roads and infrastructure. Thanks again for all your time and insight. Thank you, Jason. I'd be glad to come back anytime. All right. Thanks again, Rocky. Uh, appreciate the uh, information there. All it takes is a little bit of money, Nicole. All we need is a little money and all of our highways, our bridges, everything, just the infrastructure will just be perfect. All we need is just a little bit of money. A little bit. Little. That's all it takes. Yeah. Everything just takes a little bit of money. Uh, by the way, I received a message from a PR person about a guest I was trying to book. And this, this PR guy asked if I was going to write an online version or this was going to appear online anywhere. And I said, well, maybe. Sometimes I, I these interviews end up... Uh, online or as online version. Sometimes the newsroom picks it up. Sometimes you pick it up or I do and, and right. write something out of it. But he, the, he, after I said, I, I can't promise anything that it's going to be there. It, it might just be sitting here in the podcast and, and out there for everybody to listen to. And he says, well, uh, I guess the guest probably won't be able to make it. <laughs> like, really? What? Okay. Well, then, office, uh, the, the offer has been rescinded. I'll okay, take it back no. if you can't join I'm me because I'm not going to. Yeah, I'm dumping yeah. you. You can't dump me. Yeah. <laughs> um, is this a local person? No, or? no, no, no. And it's actually this. I think it was an outfit. Uh, it was a. It was a national. I think New York uh, PR guy. And I think this place that I was talking about. Uh, was actually in Europe, and I have the ability to do uh, phone interviews with WhatsApp. Uh, on my phone, and and I could oh, do wow. a WhatsApp interview anywhere. And so, if you if you're uh, around the world, I can I can talk to you here on the program via WhatsApp. Um, but if you don't want to be here on the program, well then I, then we don't want you either. <laughs> I mean, we have a pretty good listener base right here, and I think I that know. should be good He's enough for of... them. But I guess not. I guess not. Maybe you. I I don't know. I wonder what the reach of this is compared to our Denver Seven website. Much more here. Probably. Yeah, I bet it's close. Denver 7 website. Yeah. <laughs> Can anybody read that? Everybody's on the Facebook or Twitter. 
They read the headlines only. That's, you know? Yeah, no, I get that all the time. Scanning. Oh, that that happened. That happened yeah. to me when I was when I wrote that story about the uh, truck tires and the tr- tires blowing out. All of a sudden, people are getting or anything I write about truckers. Anything I do about oh, truck, oh man, I get yeah. blasted because all the people do is only read the headline and then they think I'm saying that and it's a viewer who's writing me a question and I have to reply <laughs> to these people. It's not me, it's this viewer and it's, but still. Anyway. Still. Back to square one with uh, trying to find a, a guest maybe yeah. for next week. I'll, I'll, I'll figure something out. I, you know, I, I, the things come around oh, every yeah. so often, so. There's way better people than that guy. Oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, get that guy out of here. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> anyway, thanks again, Nicole, for uh, filling in. And uh, appreciate your time, as always, in your bedroom. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to now it's on to my – I got a Zoom interview here that I'll do from bed, and then maybe I'll just take a nap. This is a real <laughs> – So from interview – so from <laughs> podcast to interview to nap – and then to dinner, and then back to sleep again. All in. Are you gonna have? Are you gonna be fed there in your bed as well? I, I probably could. I don't. Uh, oh, perfect. I, this isn't probably where I'm most, you know, creative. And uh, I don't know. Well, you just need to dress it up a little bit. Just dress it up a little yeah. bit, Nicole. All right. Well, anyway, thanks again for listening. Thanks for being here. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. And I'm Nicole Brady, working from a bedroom. (laughs) Be safe, and as always, happy motoring. (laughs) Oh, that is so great.